I can show you the world. Everything is now broken. Hello and welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. Uh, it's me and Quentin Smith. This week's podcast will sadly be 10% shorter than usual. Oh, uh, I was going to go for the joke of it. Not being podcast 85, but being podcast 72. Because, yeah, because things have gone back by uh, yeah. Yeah, decades. I was also thinking that um, if this is a historical artifact, like some people might be listening to this podcast, you know, five years in the future. Yeah. I wonder what England will be like then. Yeah, I don't know what England will be like It then. would actually be kind of fascinating because you listen to this podcast and it's like a cultural artifact from before the fall. But it feels weirdly more likely that England will be England rather than Britain. But hey, anyway, you're listening to Daft Souls, a video game back podcast. From the United uh, Kingdom. From the United Kingdom. That mythical land, (laughs) much like, you know, what's the thing in Daft Souls? The thing from Bloodborne. Ah, Yarnum. Yeah, much like Yarnum, the United Kingdom is a country that used to exist. And it's feeling a bit Yarnum today. It's feeling a bit Yarnum. Yeah, we're recording this on the day of uh, referendum results, actually. It'll be going live on Monday, but uh, I I think that things will probably still be feeling quite sore on Monday. It's one of those weird things where I spent the entire day having angry conversations with my friends, and unlike most of the time... where you kind of end that conversation by going, I feel better now, I'm glad to get that off my chest. It's just a kind of endless uh, fountain, a chocolate fountain of anger that keeps on blubbing away, covering everything in anger, um, even when you've decided that you've had enough anger and actually you wish somebody would wheel it back into the kitchen because now, oh, everything's, oh God. I didn't plan this, but you know what video games I've been playing? I've been playing two really nice ones. Good, good. <laughs> Not even any fights in them at all. You know, it's funny. We covered, and we'll talk about today, we covered a game called Subnautica on Cool Ghosts this last week. And it was interesting that one of the things, obviously you'd already been playing it, but one of the things that kind of uh, tipped me off to Subnautica was the fact that the dev, one of the lead devs came out uh, and said in response to people saying, hey, when are you going to put guns and stuff into the game? When are you going to put more guns? Um, he was like... I don't want to do that. And kind of made this point of saying, it's not that it's, it's going to be an explicitly non-violent game, but in the world we live in, I don't want to create another world with guns in it. I want to kind of, I don't want to contribute to that. And obviously, you know, this is a difficult conversation. Sometimes people go, oh yeah, but guns and violence don't actually equate to uh, violence. Which is, world, you know, which is something we true. don't disagree with. And that's a different conversation, but that's, yeah, we don't disagree with that. But it's this thing of just feeling like exhausted by the culture and exhausted by the world and going, I'm making a fictional world here. Do I want to make another one that's just a reflection of the one we've currently got or do I want to make a new one? Yeah, let's not forget that, you know, these developers are making an alien world in an alien setting where they can do anything. And it's it makes sense to me that they would want to make a world that's quite nice. Exactly. And I kind of feel like now with Cool Ghosts and with Dark Souls, especially when I took the decision to just try and have Dark Souls being more about people talking about stuff they love mostly, I think it's... It seems to me increasingly like, yeah, this is kind of the way I want to treat video games. I want to look at them as being these joyful things that we can use to try and not reflect reality all the time. Yeah, and sometimes you know, just have a bit of a bit of an escape from it. It's funny because I've been working for you with like cool ghosts for maybe nine months. And the work I've discovered pretty much this year that I enjoy doing the most and that I've been focusing more on is taking an indie game that I love and then trying to make a video that does it justice. Like our yeah. 80 Days video. I yeah. love the Subnautica video we did last week. Um, I'm going to work on a video next for Valhalla, which is a game I'm going to talk about in a bit. But uh, sort of taking things I love and then trying to do them justice. And a lot of the time we get the developers, you know, tweeting the videos and being like, oh, this is my favorite video on the Mm. subject. And that's what I'm out to do. But um, something interesting about the Subnautica is that not only does it have very few guns, um, I saw an interesting thing on the wiki um, in one of the patch updates, because it's not actually finished yet. It's not in early access. Um, saying that due to popular demand, predators like the big awful sharks and stuff 
um, come back after you kill them. If you do kill them with one of the very high-tech, like, torpedoes or a knife or something. Um, which implies that previously there was a developmental decision that if you killed the bad things, like the awful fish, they, don't come back. they wouldn't come back. And that fascinates me. It's a lovely uh, almost callback to with uh, Red Dead Redemption and the buffalo. Which right. obviously a lot more on the nose in that because it's like the buffalo. Remember what we did to them? Uh, whereas in this, it's more like... Red Dead Redemption had a thing where if you killed the buffalo, oh, yeah. then yeah, they you, wouldn't come back. You, all the wildlife respawned in that game. It was all just infinite. Like You could shoot as many eagles as you want, shoot as many armadillos, except go nuts, except the buffalo. And the buffalo in the final section of the game. And yeah, there was like, you arrived and there was this herd of buffalo and every time one died. And the thing was, it wasn't just you that hurt the buffaloes. You would see other bandits and other like uh, uh, tryhards trying to kill buffaloes. Or even wildlife, you'd see like big cougars and stuff trying to chase down the buffaloes. And it was like kind of up to you if you wanted to, to look after them. I do have to be like, no. I do wish there was a touch more of that environmental uh, stuff in Subnautica because it it just leads to really interesting decisions. I was playing with the build last night and I built, uh, I swam around looking for a nice place to build my home, my big expansive undersea lab. Um, for a long time. And you know those sort of uh, dudong-looking things, which are like sea cows that just yeah. d- fart, fart yeah. poison gas as a defense mechanism? Um, I built my house like on this sea cliff, and it's beautiful, but it was quite close to where a dudong lived, and it kept farting above my base, and I thought, <laughs> oh, that's cute. That's kind of... I'm okay with that. But due to a clipping error, the poison gas would get into my base while I was walking around. Yeah. So after this happened a few times, and it was like 2 a.m., and actually I was waiting for the referendum results, I went outside, uh, swam outside, and killed the dudong meticulously with a knife, which takes ages, by the way. You have to hit it like 40 times or something. And then finally, this lifeless corpse slumps down, sort of sinks drapes itself over my base and I'm looking at it going oh, what have I done <laughs> I could have just packed up my base and moved it you the game lets it. you do that yeah you could have just moved but no yeah it's it, it does um, it's I think the, the strongest thing about Subnautica really is the fact that it does actually feel quite uh, linked to like a lot of human stuff in terms of how you feel like a lot of it is uh, almost innate in terms of when I was trying to work out how to do stuff it was almost like well I thought well this seems like an obvious way to do it and it worked like, I'd try something and it'd be like this works but also that it does really get under your skin with that sensation of you've gone a bit too far here you've gone a bit too deep are you going to make it back and one thing I found fascinating is I really became very attached to pipes, which are, you can make a little network yeah. of things that you can top up your... Well, we both to. did. We both did a nice... Um, but apparently the community really just don't like them. Like, yeah, it was really funny because we made in our video, like you described, you had the beautiful line that uh, the pipes are like a constellation that guides you home. <laughs> and we thought that we, we guessed most of the uh, community would feel that way. But actually, then we got the developer suite and being like, oh my God, pipe love. They love the pipes. Maybe we should make the pipes not shit. Yeah, I think they were thinking about cutting them out. So um, oh my if, God. If, if you really hate the pipes, then I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I really like them. I think maybe because I, I got a bit stuck with the economy and I, I didn't know what I was doing because I wasn't looking at things. I was making the mistake of just like going out and bashing rocks and collecting stuff. And I didn't actually take the time to look at what the ingredients I needed to craft new tools were. And actually when I did, I was like, oh, oh, I can get that. I know where to get that. Yeah. And it became, I then just suddenly it was like Christmas and I had all these different tools at once. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do first? But um, because of that, I just kept getting loads of ore. And I was like, well, what do I do with ore? And I'm like, I can build pipes. And so I'm like, let's build loads of pipes. But I had a lovely thing that I was like, okay, well, I want to explore over here. So I built this massive pipe chain. But because, and a few people say the pipe thing is a bit fiddly at the moment and needs fixing. And I think, yeah, it could do a sharpening up a bit. But because the current system is that you have to kind of point at the last node you placed. Um, and then swim away a bit and then keep pointing at it and then 
when you've got it about as long as it'll go, you have to kind of go back and forward slightly to get it as long as you can mm-hmm. if you want to be efficient at it. Then you place it. But it means you're always swimming backwards. And it meant I just kept swimming backwards deeper and deeper, planting these pipes until eventually I just got hit by something and turned around and came face to face with a very frightening shark thing. Which was just like, <laughs> it's like, remind me, it's like, this is why you don't swim backwards. Yeah. Like into unknown waters. I had exactly the same thing of, uh, yeah, flattening myself against the ground and also building in the wrong direction with the pipes. But it's cute because, like you said in the video, it leads to them looking janky and yeah, wobbly. Like, I like it that you kind of look up and go, oh, yeah, that's that. Okay, I know where I am now because. I remember that specific one when I bumped into the shark and it it bit one of my buttocks off yeah I think it it weirdly adds a bit of like map work to the game it means you actually end up creating roads in a way it does Um, I like a lot that um, you can get a compass like you would expect from most games where navigation is vitally important but it's so far up the tech tree and like it's so deep you have to go so deep until you find magnetic materials that you have to work out other ways to navigate which is awesome you know and you don't really get lost because you can always swim back to the beacon that is where you started the game and again something interesting is that other people were saying the other thing that the community don't tend to use is the line thing we were using where you you go down the dive reel yeah the dive reel where basically you just plug it into some sand somewhere or something and then you just swim away which is a real diver's thing it's a real diver thing it means you, you you keep swimming away and then it means you have a rope that takes you back to where you came from so the idea with that is you just plug it in swim away you do your stuff and then when you need to work out how to get back you just follow the rope Mm. and that's the only function it serves but obviously and I think maybe it's because of the fact that as you found when you went and looked on the wiki to try and find some help when you started hitting the edges of the development development bit and being a bit like what do I do now but also as I found when I, I even just I stupidly watched the trailer for the game and I was like, oh, there's so much cool stuff in this trailer I wish I hadn't seen. There is more in the trailer than it is in our video. Oh, loads more, yeah. And fair play, they can market their game however they want. But I was like, oh, I didn't want to know that. That's Mm. awesome. And I think maybe if you actually are using the wiki or you are, maybe a lot of the community who like crafting survival games are a bit more quick to just like look at what they can make and run ahead. Whereas I think maybe both of us got a little bit more... I wouldn't say stuck, but maybe just spent more time in the kind of early game than some people might. Some no, people you might en- rush ahead. enjoy yourself. You exactly. know, you just take time, you explore, you decide, oh, I'm going to make a stockpile of food or titanium or coral. Exactly. So know. I think some people might be like, oh, why would you bother with something as basic as the dive reel when you could start building like things that are going to help you way more. But I kind of like the fact that I spent two hours just swimming around the shallow bits, being a bit terrified of going deeper, yeah, uh, collecting an inhuman quantity of rocks. Yeah, God, what were we playing recently where you become worried to even advance? I, uh, I guess it's just the Souls games in general, where you see something big in a Souls game and you don't know how dangerous it really is. Yeah. So you kind of skirt the outsides and you do other things and you get mastery of the existing area. You know, it's, it's, just, a, it's just a really, really lovely game and Again, I can't wait for the finished release. And as you said, it does a really nice job of like just very gently easing you out and doing that kind of Metroidvania thing of of walling off some areas, but just doing it in the ways that don't feel like solid walls. Like you have some areas that are like irradiated, so it's like you start to die, and it's like, well, don't be here yet, or like, or you but know, you can always get the equipment you need to explore a specific thing. You can, and that's what's nice is that actually, rather than it being like you want better things so you can have better things, it's more like you let yourself be guided by whatever intrigues you it's like you're in the sea you're just in the sea and it's like you can go in any direction you want i know that uh pip dark souls contributor pip um just wanted to swim out uh, horizontally as far as 
She went to see what was at the edge of the world. You know, I'll see a really deep cave and then want to go down to that. And that's when the pipes are fantastic. You can swim into the irradiated area. You can specifically look for wreckage. You know, yeah. that it, it really, like, you go, you go anywhere. You do anything. And the game lets you do any of it. But it just, it's a bit time consuming to do all of it. It's so freeing. It's... Yeah, I've already, I've already seen it. It's like, oh, I want to be like, I want to do that. So I've got to get my radiation gear so I can go and look down there. Or yeah. like, I want to get deeper. Right, so I need some gear that can deal with the pressure better. Or like, And then as well, like, not only do you look outwards into new areas, but it's so uh, much fun if you want to look inwards and just develop your home. There's yeah. so much uh, furniture and scrap and there's great farming in it. You can, you know, you can try and get a sample of every single thing under the sea, like a proper botanist have i talked about how botanists were some of the most badass american like settlers in like the 18th century no there's a there's a journalist um whose name i forget but there's a unbelievably good collection of his uh, work called Pulphead. But in that, he wrote a story about the first botanists in America. And these badasses would show up as colonists. And obviously, it's a continent with all new trees and, uh, you know, like flowers and herbs and God knows what else. So then you get your cart and you drag it out into the forest. And then you come back from that forest, having been by yourself for like 24 months. And then you drag your cart back. And in that cart are about a hundred and maybe 300 meticulously labeled samples of all the different plants you found. But it's like there's so much to find when you arrive at a new continent yeah. that you can be out there for years. It's like, look at all this stuff I got. It's like the gold Way rush, too much. but for science, yeah. And then obviously you come back and you're like, I found this flower. And someone else is just like, oh, yeah, well, you know, that, that French botanist came back. He got all those flowers. What? He's already written reports what? on it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, but what about this flower? He got that one as well. <laughs> yeah, but I just love the idea of going full wild man in pursuit of science. It's badass. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, I mean, actually, it's something I didn't mention in the video, but again... Um, it's weird. Like it, I find that the my relationship with games. Oh, hello! It's the it's uh, Quinn's PC sitar. It's awesome. Um, Adam, sorry, I don't know why Windows made me sound very Indian, it's, but it did. <laughs> it's fine. But I love that. Like I, I feel like I've got this weird dichotomy of the fact that I kind of do want to play games that are a bit more just about exploration and, and nice stuff and um, and just wonder and stuff. But then I also find that there's parts of my brain just through uh, I think games. I think it's just the culture of games and the games I've brought up with that kind of want to gravitate towards more traditional stuff. And so it's a weird thing when you're swimming around in Subnautica, almost out of being used to, I feel like my character should have something in his hands that resembles a gun. <laughs> well, a lot of the trailers show you swimming around with a knife. Yeah, that's true. And the knife is a very useful tool. But what I love is the scanner. I love that the scanner looks like a little laser pistol or something. But instead of it being round and you swimming around constantly ready to zap anything that gets in your way... I'm just constantly swimming around looking for cool new fish so I can scan them <laughs> and chase after them, being like, no, stay still, little weird fish. I'm trying to scan you so I can add you to my database. And that, for me, was a sign of a game like this that uh, succeed, that I'm like, I'm playing this in early access. I know that, well, as far as I know, there's no real benefit for me to go around scanning all these fish, but it's what I really want to do. I want to just scan these fish and then read about them and go, what's this fish like? What's this? Oh, you know, nice. it's funny as well, because people might assume that, oh, well, there's no guns in the game, then it's, I don't know, like, if I go to the worst possible extreme like oh it's for girls it's for people who like walking simulators here's the thing not having a gun and then having to go and scan a shark well scary it's fucking scarier than if you had a gun and were fighting the shark yeah yeah. and then i have a real problem with like and i think this is common you know the idea of really big sea creatures you know Mm -hmm. like the whales and stuff and obviously the developers in subnautica aren't not going to put that in their game no and when you encounter those sort of animals like it's petrifying and again you there are things you can get to dissuade monsters, but mostly it's just stuff like 
the earliest one you get is, I think, the Repulsor, which is a like a bazooka-looking thing, but it only pushes things away. Yeah. And then they're going to swim back towards you, so you better get out of their territory and, yeah. Yeah, it's more like that. there are things that you, obviously you can, like, even kill stuff with a knife, but it's more like it more regularly just gives you tools to to either survive or push things away yeah, get and things I, to, to just leave you alone I think that is something that I don't think they're exploring as much as they could have or that I personally would like they're choosing to focus that about on all kinds of cool stuff but I would have loved to see a bit more of the like ecological stuff the idea that if you eat loads of fish or you kill certain things or you remove certain things from the food chain I mean obviously that's difficult to it to, is to model, but maybe something as simple as like, oh, you killed the farting sea cow in this area. There's not going to be another one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's enough. You know, I think yeah. that's enough to uh, engender a sense of loss, you know. And plus, then if you go to some horrible dark cave and hypothetically, let's say there's a horrible sea monster in there, you don't have a choice because it's like, well, I, I mean, it's a choice in a, in a way that's more meaningful than anything in like Metal Gear Solid with its lethal slash non-lethal boss takedowns. It's like you find a horrible pink monster in a cave. Do you then fight it and kill it to explore the cave more easily? Because it's not coming back, and maybe it's the only thing of its kind. And that's a super interesting decision. Yeah. Or even, I mean, to be honest, if you're going to deal it like that, then it, you could even just have actually quite a simple ecosystem uh, system in play, whereby if you kill a big, massive sea predator, then the number of smaller but still nasty sea predators in the area increases. Because I mean, it's like, the hey, small, we can hang around here now. The like, small predators are the most annoying. Yeah. Well, they still just, they just catch you off guard, and you suddenly go, ah, yeah. there's a bloody one of them. In front of me, they they creep up on you. But yeah, I think it's uh, and it's funny. A shout out actually, somebody on Twitter uh, who immediately went, "Oh God, underwater things!" It's like the big eel from Mario sixty four, and I was like, "Yes, <laughs> yes," because I actually almost name dropped that bastard in the video because it was like the two things that just did this just hammered home me being frightened of underwater stuff, and that was Echo the Dolphin, as we mentioned in the video. Obviously, the fact that Echo the Dolphin went pure aliens at the end, and that was genuine like traumatic stuff. But Echo the Dolphin was scary from like the first or second level, which was like you you came across a whale and the whale was just big enough to fill like four or five screens. And it was just like, what is this? I don't want to go near it because it's just so big that you're like... Echo, we must have talked about Echo before, but like it has just such a sad tone. Yeah. Like whenever in the first level, spoilers for Echo the Dolphin, if anyone... Don't spoil Echo the Dolphin. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm gonna. I'm a renegade. You can't stop me. But yeah, the end of the first level, um, when you jump out of the sea... Yeah, it's like, hey, try jumping high, And you jump really high, and then because you're out of the sea, when everything gets... So then there's a cutscene, everything in the sea gets sucked out. And then you land, and then it's this super maudlin intro where it's like, now the first level is you going around the sea with nothing in it. Yeah. And I mean, that for me, I think that was why I echo the dolphin thematically was probably one of the most successful games ever, but also terrified me in the fact that really... I didn't enjoy it as a kid. I didn't enjoy it. I, I, I I completed it, but I didn't enjoy it. And... I found it so stressful because it really that when you look down into the abyss of deep water, it's it kind of makes you feel cold in your heart. And I think it is that fear of being alone, that feeling of being pulled down somewhere away from everything else, away from the world. Well, there's the theory that that whole game was like you just felt alone. All your dolphin buddies are gone and it's just you. Well, Subnautica does that as well, of course. There's a uh, I had a well, okay, so I. I will actually not spoil Subnautica, um, so I can't say the thing I was going to say, but it has things that made me feel and reflect on the fact that I was a survivor of the crash. Mm. Um, uh, like, specifically, that's a bit south of you. And, like, it's 
you feel kind of lonely in that. And I mm. think it's cute that uh, you're kind of, you're given an environment that is so full of life. And well, like so I say, I'm not playing on survival, so I'm not eating the fish. So little fish are just my straight up buddies. Oh, wow. They're not for me. I know the, the caloric intake of all of them. <laughs> and actually it's cute because like you want to be a fisherman. Like, Calorie I, friends. I know the fish that are better for eating. And yeah. uh, it's really funny because when I enter a... Uh, a new area and I see a new kind of fish I go that fish is beautiful wonder how it tastes it's like Metal Gear Solid 3 right except darker because I'm an alien life form who's just crash landed and is now eating everything I will try eating everything once yeah why not you gotta try right it's interesting that you can't like drag home like do what humans actually did which is catch big fish like tuna and and by the way people at home if you have, if you don't know how big a tuna is, do you know how big a tuna they're is? They're massive. They're man. like small sharks, but yeah. like squat and round. Fat. Uh, yeah, like bigger than a beach ball. Um, so uh, it's funny that you can't do what humans would actually do and hunt the big fish and then live off them for like weeks. You have to just have like bag of crisp sized fish. Yeah. yeah. Until you've probably set yourself up with farming and then maybe you can go veggie, I guess. Oh, I've know. never found anything. But, oh, yeah, you can eat the creep vines, but um, they, they provide nothing. Like they provide like one or two percent of your daily intake. There must be a way to end up being like a vegetarian kelp smoothies or something. I don't know. Like <laughs> there must be. There has to be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, and again, like that was the, so. There was a massive whale in Echo, and then there was the eel. The eel in Super Mario sixty four. Did you ever play Super Mario sixty four? No, I didn't have an N sixty four. The eel was terrifying, mm. and the most frustrating thing is that there were like two stars in that game where you had to kind of do stuff that involved the eel. I think one was hanging out outside the eel's hole, and you had to kind of swim and get it. Before before he kind of grabbed you with his mouth and he had sharp teeth. Okay. And there was another one which was on his tail, which wasn't as scary, but was still scary because he was just swimming around and you had to chase after it. And it was this thing of being like, I'm afraid of this. I don't want to be near it. And in both cases, you have to go near it. Are we going to talk about uh, Shadow of the Colossus's underwater uh, colossi? Yeah, I mean, that didn't frighten me in the same it's way. Pre- yeah, you know, that game managed to make something so terrifying. No, not terrifying, but like exciting and in the sense of making water exciting and when you're hanging onto it and it's swimming down through the water like that is such an electric moment yeah but it's not actually as scary i think it's because like it came out of the water and you grabbed it and then went down with it there was just something about when things are lurking down i don't know man in the water. you seem to have forgotten that, that level also has you just swimming in the water and looking down below you at the water and seeing the big thing moving yeah i don't know i, I don't have any trauma about that so it can't have been that bad i had a friend who specifically <laughs> has a phobia and a problem uh, which makes him feel very sick uh, and scared of heights which is the idea that you'll be on a tall building and then the building starts toppling over yeah, it doesn't sound nice. Yeah, well, if you remember, there is a bit of Shadow of the Colossus which has exactly that. You, ha- Ooh, you have to climb yeah. up on the little towers and then a bull rams it and yeah, then you fall off the towers. Yeah. Um, and he, like, it required a great source of will to, yeah. uh, for him to get through. Well, that. that's, I mean, that's why I was amazed I could do Subnautica. And I think it's, I think it's because fundamentally you are always, your home is always, to begin with, always back in that shallow area. And it means like, something about knowing I can get back there. And also knowing that if I don't, it's not that bad. It's like... I was thinking about playing the finished release on um, Hardcore Mode, which has the uh, permadeath. Wow. Nah. I'm more tempted to play the survival mode now. I realize that actually, like, after an initial shaky start, you can just maybe do some farming and stuff, and it maybe becomes less of an issue, the whole eating and drinking. Yeah, you don't really think about it much. Because as you're swimming, small fish are in your way, and you pick them up like like floating pot noodles or, like, you know, pack lunches or something. But I read read the thing that Pip wrote for RPS about pottering, which was great. She talked about how she doesn't really can't get on with survival games because she's a potterer. And really, the problem 
is with survival is it means you need to always have this constant long-term plan about being like it restricts what you can do you have to be thinking well i have to think about food about have to think about water where she just wants to wander about and having to worry about things like eating mm, and drinking yeah. just gets in the way of like this just pure potter about look at things i mean that was my problem with well i don't know if it's fair to say this about don't starve but um i think a lot of the good survival games <laughs> minecraft included um but especially the long dark and subnautica um, no, the, the trick of survival is, yes, you have moments of great tension where uh, it's like an action game, right? You mm-hmm. need to, it's like, oh God, I need to eat or I need to drink. But you also need to balance that with having great stretches where the player has everything they need. Yeah. Because otherwise it's not worth it. And the long dark's great for that where, you know, you're so cold and then you find a cab and then it works and then... Super warm. And then uh, and then something, like one piece in your perfect ecosystem uh, breaks, like your night, like your fishing rod breaks. And then you go, oh, Okay. I need screws now and I don't know where screws are and then all the stuff that was keeping me safe is in this house and I can't take it with me. Yeah. So now I have to wander off like, you know, that British sea captain. I mean, I'm, I know, exploration, I know you mean, yeah. Go for a walk. And maybe some time. To find a screw. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been on that walk. I know. It usually it ends rarely with you coming works. home on your own. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, do you want to talk about uh, Valhalla? Oh, because let's talk about going home on your own. Yeah. And sex. Have you ever been to a bar? Yes. That's what happens. Yes. Uh, so Valhalla, or technically, if you if you want to search for it, um, we'll put links in this uh, video description on Darth Souls and on CoolGhosts.net. But if you want to Google it on your own self, good then, luck. <laughs> yeah, it's VA hyphen eleven space hall A because the joke is that it's the the serial number of the bar is VA eleven, and you'll find it in hall A. But that actually spells Valhalla in like elite speak. I'm losing people. I'm going to bring them back on board by saying it's a cyberpunk bartending simulator. I did talk about it on Darth Souls before because um, they've been working on it for a few years. Well, one person did the writing and the programming and then there's other people for the art and the music. Um, Sukaban Games is the name of the people who did it. And I was down on it last time I talked about it on Darth Souls because um, fundamentally it's people... uh, Christine Love said it's not a visual novel and I know why she'd say that, but it's a visual novel, I think. But I also think Bloodborne and Dark Souls are the same game and if you... Not they're not the same game, but Matt, what Matt, you're trying to say is that you're often wrong about things. <laughs> yeah, I just noticed you had a line coming there because you stopped smiling and just thought. No, no, I was just trying moment. to catch up with what you meant, and then I was like, "Oh, you're, you're throwing zings." Okay, so I will zing back at you, sir. My point is that it's a game which is fundamentally talking, right? It's fundamentally yeah. talking through text boxes. Yeah. You stand behind the bar. People come into the bar. They talk to you. You don't even decide what to say. Like, there's not even like a what do you think? Yes, no. You are very much playing a character, and your character has a personality. Her name's Jill. She's uh, single. She's short on her rent. She's maybe like in her early twenties. She works in a bar, um, and there's the only way you have of interacting with the game is um, mixing people drinks. They come in, uh, they talk to you. They say, "I want something bitter." Uh, you can also decide like whether to give them alcohol if they're unsure, or make them a big drink with loads of alcohol, which tweaks the game slightly. Anyway, last time I was on Darth Souls talking about this, I was kind of down on it because the pre-release version, mm-hmm. which if you want to play the whole thing, is like the weekend before the game starts. Right, um, And the game itself makes a few references to it, but you don't need to have played it. I didn't like the writing in the pre-release version. And you know what? No, you said, yeah. I picked up Valhalla, the full release, um, on a whim because I've had a tough you, week for yeah, some I'm, reason. You said like you, you kind of really wanted to like it, but you found that the writing just really turned you off. But then ever since I've spoken to you about the full version, you've just been talking about how funny it is. Man, I keep laughing. And not only that, but um, the, the topics that it covers are immediately way more engaging to me. The pre-release version, which I think they were trying to have a bit of fun 
fun with covers your bartender working in a bar when a load of corgis come in and in the cyberpunk world they're corgis but they have human personalities because they're like they have human right. brains or something and so it's kind of like a, a bit more whimsy yeah and it's very anime inspired the actual show and it's then that makes it f- the prologue feel like an episode of an anime, which is like the goofy episode. Cyber whimsy. Uh, cyber yeah. whimsy, yeah. Um, and that doesn't work. But in the full release game, you know, you're talking to like uh, cyborgs or prostitutes or, you know, like there's a newspaper editor and that's only in the first few days. It keeps making me laugh. And like the conversations that you end up having are funny. And maybe the way I can sum this up the most is what I've found is that if I'm having a good conversation, which is most of them, the point in the evening where the customer's like, oh, well, I should go. I, as a player, and they're going, oh, don't leave because then I'll have to talk to someone else and they might not be as interesting to you, which is exactly how I felt when I was an actual fucking bartender in Edinburgh. Wow. And I want to do a video on this because generally, like, I think it actually does capture the positive experiences of being a real bartender of not necessarily being the protagonist and letting other people come in and uh, and have interesting conversations with you. Like, there's a conversation I really quite liked early on between a... Uh, she's a cyborg, but she looks like a kid and she's well... And she's a prostitute. She's a, Sorry, I, my bad. She's a sex worker. Um, and she's completely okay with the fact that she often gets sex work because she looks like a kid. And then a, a man comes in and they start having a conversation and... None of the conversations are that deep, but none of them are stupid. And the thing I like about it most, and this is what I want to express to people, is in the week we've had, especially, it is written by someone who just loves people. Like, even people who come in who you hate as a bartender, like there's a guy who's super rude to you, you find out from other customers who you realize know him that he's going through awful stuff. It is a game written by someone who really likes human beings and thinks human beings are awesome, who thinks they should be free to do what they want. There's a lot of, like... The developers jokingly call it a waifu simulator because you, most of the people you do end up talking to are women and you can kind of like fancy them and there are lots of different endings. Mm-hmm. But uh, but generally, like, they're all cool women as well. They're all kinds of different viewpoints are put forward in the game, even if they are all kind of liberal. Um, I just enjoy it and it feels like an overwhelmingly positive experience. And cool. plus, everyone's coming in to just have fun and drink. Like, and that just lends the whole game to you like... You have to bar the guy who keeps coming in and talking about how... England's full of mosques. No, but you can give him shit drinks and continually get his order wrong. <laughs> Which is the kind of thing that I could hypothetically see myself doing in a bar. Yeah. Oh, sorry, didn't you want the martini? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is one mad thing about it that still does bug me, which is like, oh, it's the year 2070, so all the drinks you make are like... Weird drinks. Well, they're combinations of like five different chemicals, like you've got carmatrine and diadepede, and then all the drinks you make, whether it's like a branditini or a whatever, or a beer, are just different combinations of this stuff. And it's like, Mm. no, people are just going to be drinking beers, right? I want to make people a martini. Why am I doing this awful chemical system? It would actually be quite cool if it was just straight up. It would be so much cooler. But that would probably be a much more difficult system to implement rather than mix these five chemicals, which sounds like mechanically a very easy thing to implement as a structure. I don't think Oh, come on. That compared to a cook-serve-delicious system where every dish has a different thing and different nuance, that's clearly more work. Speaking as someone... I don't know, man. I I have mixed cocktails and, and... like you know, like poured whiskeys and beers, and it's not actually as... No, I mean making it as a game. I don't mean... It doesn't have to be a game. It just needs to give you the flexibility to be like, serve a martini, click on two bottles, pour them into the measure in this, like, amount. Like, the the system for measuring amounts and alcohol content and stuff, it's all still in there. It just... Okay, yeah, yeah. I get you. 
it's 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 weird and annoying um and uh i can't come up with any like shimmeringly brilliant criticism of it other than the fact that it's incredibly dumb um but to end on a positive note the soundtrack's awesome and soundtrack is ace because i was just like sitting uh behind you while you were playing it and i love that like when the the game is like heating up and you're in the mix of it and you're serving drinks Mm. it's pretty like personary like a little bit maybe Cowboy Bebop, but more Persona. Yeah, it's very jazzy synth, yeah. It's kind of like top-grade like anime stuff, really. Like, yeah. Rather than being like, oh, God, what is this uh, J-pop? It's more just like, this is cool. It's kind of like chip tune as well, very inspired by sort of like a... It, it, it's a game that borrows a lot tonally and musically from Snatcher, the bizarre Hideo Kojima mm-hmm. game that was like Blade Runner. Um, and yeah, you can set up the jukebox. And uh, I remember that uh, I didn't play, I didn't finish GTA Five, but I've always enjoyed uh, GTA games for the moments where um, uh, you're just traveling through the world, and it's, and it's it's a quite nice world. But then a song comes on and fits it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, GTA yeah. is the best game ever made. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it has a touch of that where you'll be talking to someone, and then a song you love comes on the jukebox, yeah. and the girl you fancy comes through the door and is happy to see you. And you're like, yes, this is my moment. And I'm, and you're making money, and then you can spend that money on pointless shit you don't need between uh, between days at work. I gotta say though, that my favorite music in that game was when it was clearly between the bits, like in the chill sections, maybe menus, maybe like just between oh, yeah, shifts. Yeah. Where the music goes, like it's so unbelievably like the music from Fantasy Star Online that I I would be amazed if the person well, who composed it didn't just go, "Hey, I want to make some music that's like Fantasy Star Online," because it's just like <sighs> it's like tickling my brain in a way which nothing else does. You know, the single area of the game where you have the most control is uh, is actually the music because um, before your before your shift and you get it, you have to do this twice every shift, you just put what's on the jukebox. Nice, like you are the bartender behind who gets the manager's iPod and takes the songs off that she doesn't want. Um, and that is actually awesome because the game has something like 60 songs in it and you can put them if you like the main menu music if you like the save load music or the fantasy star music you put on there is an achievement for putting on like let's say you like the fantasy star music if you set the jukebox so all 12 songs are that fantasy star song you get an achievement for that <laughs> like I really like this song right now yeah but you know if you I cannot like recommend it highly enough like and I mean that in a literal sense because I don't think it will be for everybody and I really cannot recommend it as much as I do sometimes. <laughs> um, but I put on my headphones like a couple of nights back. I played it. It was like midnight. I poured myself a big glass of rum. I turned up the music really loud so I was in like a loud club. And I was just laughing and smiling and thinking. I wonder where you were drinking rum because we were talking about coming to go climbing in the morning and then I, the, the, our friend, who, Ian, who you did the contender with, like I went climbing with him and I was like, oh, how come Quiz didn't come? He's like, oh, he, he stood up late drinking rum. I'm like, like... What, on his own <laughs> and he was like yeah well everyone else had left so I guess so and I was just like okay like it was a pretty cool thunderstorm I just imagine you like Batman like perching on the roof just drinking rum alone in and the thinking rain. about the city needs me the I will vote tomorrow me. this isn't the city that I deserve but it's the city that I've got no if, if there is some, if something can be described as the opposite of Batman it is me playing a video game about waifus and drinking rum by myself that's pretty true well if you're intrigued but not sure then yeah hopefully uh, we'll do some sort of video about it soon and then maybe you'll, you'll know or you won't but maybe you just know in your heart right now if you look down deep enough yes you deeper it's deeper still I think you know I think you know perfectly well don't you you want to serve drinks to hot anime ladies yeah who doesn't I don't know Probably 52% of the country. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I'm sad and angry. Uh, Should we do a couple of questions? No. No. Well, fine. Yes. All right, let's go. Where's the laptop? 
Here we go, ladies and gents. Uh, if you would like to ask a question, you can do so on coolghosts.net slash Daft Souls. That's probably the URL, isn't it? Uh, yes. Maybe. Good stuff. Um, you can upvote questions you like as well if you, uh, if you don't feel like asking a question yourself. If you're not feeling that creative... Uh, or you stayed up late at night drinking, drinking rum that. and talking to hot anime ladies. Who didn't, eh? Who didn't? I didn't. I was in bed by half ten because I have no power in my flat, so I had to blow out the candle and go to sleep. It's really weird, like, going to bed by blowing out a candle. What's even weirder is walking around your fat flat trying to find your pyjamas with a candle. Because <laughs> you're walking around, like, trying to look on the floor for where you, wherever you took off your pyjamas before you had a shower, you mad flippant <laughs> bastard. And yet you're just worried you're going to spill, like, wax on everything. It's very strange. Don't do it. Have power. I recommend power in your building, in your house. It's good. You got a question for us? I do have a question for you. For me, specifically. Me. For both know. of us. Okay, this is a good one. K.J. asks... How come cool ghosts have so many cool friends? Where and how have you found them all? Or is that a UK games? Is it that UK games journalists are all fantastic people? Hmm. You mean, I wonder if he's referring to, or he or she is referring to, um, maybe uh, the cast of Dark Souls over the years, or what do you think? Yeah. Or what else do you think they might be? Just our cool friends. I saw that some people on Reddit slash board games get frustrated because uh, when we're doing board game oh, reviews, God, yeah. we show uh, a B roll of us actually playing the game sometimes when we're talking over it. And they got frustrated because at one point, like all my friends were like attractive, were attractive and ha- and smiling and laughing, and it's yeah. like, oh, I don't want to see this. Yeah, it's mad as if we like purposefully wheel in attractive people from the street just so we look cool. But it's a very, it's a very nice backhanded compliment, isn't it? Stop being attractive. Mm, the truth, I is, hate you. They're not actually from the street. They're from a very expensive agency. Yeah, we spend like ninety percent of our money on these people, and I'm really glad that people have started noticing it. For better or worse, I'm just glad that people have started to notice. Uh, it's an interesting question. I think, yeah, people who are willing to sacrifice their life to be games journalists and whose work you also respect like it, you tend to make friends like yeah I, I think that there's an interesting thing especially uh well this is true of any field right this is actually something the game again never understood which is that if you work in a field especially a creative one you end up humans surround themselves with people they work with right yeah so it's like if you think games journalists are cool and lord knows not everyone will then of course you're going to look at matt and think oh you have lots of cool friends because all our friends are like like-minded games writers well, like, i partly wanted to get into it because i wanted to work with those people like i wanted to work in the same office as people like john Blythe and stephen hogarty who are just two amazing writers that i still still think are two amazing writers and it was just like i'd met them a couple of times i love their work and i just thought man imagine like getting to spend every day with these people so yeah like it's partly that but i also think it's partly the fact that like when we were growing up like games were kind of like a little bit vilified by the media but also just everyone just thought they weren't cool like the idea of like oh you're playing video games was just a kind of mild diss to anyone so it meant people who grew up loving it always felt a little bit like outsiders then to go through something like that feeling like you're constantly a bit on the fringe and everyone thinks you're a bit weird and then decide that actually you're going to forego any a hope of a, a a career that might be financially viable and invest your life and efforts into becoming an expert or a evangelist for the medium, I think you end up just getting a selection of very weathered, strong people who still have joy in their hearts. I think they the, tend to be the coolest people. An important piece of the puzzle that this gentleman is missing is none of the people he thinks are, he or fucking she thinks are cool were cool seven years ago. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, if you just the foot, I mean, certainly the footage of me from early Shut Up to Down, which tragically exists, and I don't know if you were cool, uh, like I was eight, cool. nine years ago. No, no, it's just something that happens when you get older, you become more comfortable with yourself. So, yeah. 
But you, no, you look you. like I'm dropping some knowledge on you there, Matt. You... No, it's fine. No, I do. I mean, I think I was just thinking back and I thought, actually, you know, nine years ago, I was really cool. Yeah, actually really cool. Cooler than I am now, definitely. For real? I was a DJ. I had weird hair. I used to go into nightclubs and ladies would kiss me on the mouth. Weren't you like not a feminist nine uh, years ago? No, I was. I, I, <laughs> it wasn't. I wasn't. I just wasn't very good at it. Yeah, no, I, did, I didn't know shit until. No, I didn't know shit. I mean, I wasn't a good person. I think it was our respective but, um, uh, fiancés that came out and were like, you're all right, but your views are dog shit. Yeah, it's more like you spend a lot of time with uh, someone and eventually you start to go, hey, you know this thing you think is stupid? Or they just say, hey, now that I know you, I can tell you all these things about what it's like to be me. And you go, oh, my God, <laughs> this is horrendous. And this happens to everyone, you say? Oh, my God. Um, anyway, that's what it's like to be an adult. Um, got a question now from Will Cornish. And he asks, oh, actually, I've made a mistake here. I mean, You've made a mistake? I've made a mistake. With cool ghosts? Are we shutting the site down? Yeah, I've made a huge mistake. Did you vote leave? I'm a Tory now. And, oh, uh, no. The whole site. I, no, I made, a, I made a mistake. I I answered. I answered. This is not a, a new question. Not a best one. Oh! oh but it was, it was an all right one. So I Broken it Britain. It was a little bit, yeah. Broken website Britain. What's our actual best, most upvoted question? The actual best one is... Hayden Van Rees. Hello, Hayden. How's it going? Thank Sorry, you so Will much Cornish. for asking a question. Apologies to Will Cornish. Oh, there. Will Cornish's heart skipped a beat on public transport there. Hey, I'll tell you what. Will Cornish is a good guy. He actually works for Eve, the Eve Appeal, which is the charity that I am raising money for with Pantsman nice. this weekend, weekend, which you'll have missed now if you're listening to <laughs> now. But you can watch it on YouTube, on on, on video, on YouTube afterwards. And the, you can still donate money if you want to donate money to that charity. It is uh, justgiving.com forward slash Pantsman, one word. And uh, yeah, he actually works for that charity and he found it very strange because he'd been to a regular feature show and um, afterwards had spilled a pint on me by accident. And he said, he said, it's very surreal to receive a fundraising email telling you that somebody you've spilt the best part of a pint over is raising money for your niche charity. So wow. that's, yeah, Will Cornish obviously working for a good charity there. So good man. I like the guy who tweeted uh, saying he was listening to the to you and me on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast and then ran past us in the street. He said he almost ran into us when he was, he was jogging. jogging. Yeah. <laughs> which which must have been really surreal. Yeah. You must start to think you're just losing your mind. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening, that didn't happen. You are losing your mind. Uh, anyway, Hayden Van Rees asks, he says, I don't get emotional during video games. Hayden, why not? Come on. Come on. Open up, man. Have a cry. Just open Who didn't cry at Gone Home? And if you didn't, why not? To the sea with you. I know you're worried you're going to get hurt, Hayden, but until you open your heart up into the world, then you're never going to love it. My name's Freddie Crane. <laughs> no, he says, however, I often get emotional when playing board games. That's weird. Um, Imagine crying while playing a board game. Yeah, they can, I mean, that's that's kind of a different kind of emotion, isn't it? Um, anyway, it says, what is the most emotional you've gotten during a video game and what's the most emotional you've gotten during a board game? How Ooh. do they compare? Board games, I don't really get emotional other than, like, joy or anger. They well, tend to be quite two-dimensional. Yeah, I mean, I uh, the most emotional I've got was um, placing relatively... Uh, everyone's bored of me telling this story now. But um, I did okay in the um, 2015 UK Netrunner Nationals. Played me some Netrunner, did inexplicably well. And then you have to play for so long if you do make the top cut that you're just playing for like 12 hours. I think you were just fried though. I was cooked. But then also it's a, it's a mix of like um, uh, being so elated and so exhausted at the same time and then having to... In the middle of all that, like maelstrom of of, uh, of adrenaline, um, play the best uh, netrunner of your life. <laughs> it's it's pretty hard. Uh, video games. I'm going to think about while you answer. Video games for me is weird because the thing is, like, you what makes you sad or makes you emotional 
And I'm, I'm guessing by emotional, you kind of mean sad. I don't know. That's what people tend to mean. And this is a problem with video games. When people talk about, oh, this video game is great. It may I be think emotional. it means like angry or... No, no, it should do. Up, yeah. But I think when people talk about video games and they talk about, um, oh, I say, oh, this game made me really feel really emotional. People mean sad, which is interesting. That Actually, like, there's now a popular trend of people making emotional video games. But still, a lot of the time, the emotion that these games are aiming to invoke is sadness. Oh, uh, I just remembered me at my most emotional with a video game. Uh, if people haven't finished br- <laughs> talk about a game that uh, that you don't know what's waiting for you at the end if people haven't finished Brothers yet no I haven't yeah yeah well your, your answer might be Undertale um, and Undertale um, did make me feel many things um, and it was kind of this uh, beautiful uh, kind of moment of almost feeling really conflicted because uh, in the last kind of I'm not going to spoil anything but in the last kind of sections of the game there are so many kind of plot reveals out within quite quick succession that you just end up feeling like kind of joyful, but also kind of sad and also kind of upset and angry. And it's kind of beautiful in the fact that it just sort of like hits you from so many angles at once that you end up like it's overwhelmingly it ends up feeling like a positive experience, but man, it just punches you from so many different angles that you just feel like a bit overwhelmed by it in a lovely way. It's interesting to me that you found that the beginner's guide uh, like an over like a negative experience. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. the bit in the beginner's guide that did make me cry with like not joy, not sadness, but just the beauty of it is the um, the point where uh, is it Davy the guy? No, uh, Code. No, what's his name? The guy who makes what, the what, levels in. It's uh, the same person. Yeah, Coda. Coda, right? Um, but the. When Coda makes um, um the the nice cabin, yeah, where everything loops yeah. and it's got that beautiful music and you're just going around the cabin doing the same thing over and over, I and I found myself doing that, but just bawling at the same yeah, time I absolutely. was doing menial tasks. Just as an allegory of just repetition and the safety of just staying. With but it is loop. so it's genuine. It's like it's so obvious. It's like it's a fucking prison, but it's so beautiful. But it's a prison you want to stay in because it's comforting. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, that's I why, sobbed during. I mean, that. it was funny how like if people haven't played the Beginner's Guide yet, holy shit, it's probably my favorite game from last year. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I'm really glad I played but it was uh, not necessarily a a beneficial thing like it was I think it was because so many of the issues it dealt with it dealt with in terms of questions about creativity and questions about being able to go back and it was stuff that I was really struggling with at the time anyway and trying to work out you know this was probably around the time we just launched Cool Ghosts so Mm. I was like still a bit like trying to work out after finding that so much of my career and success had come from uh, like uh, kind of sniping and being snarky and almost sometimes being a bit too negative and a bit too um, uh, knee-jerky almost and a bit too much a part of the problem of something that I'd now disliked. It was this weird thing of being like, oh, what the fuck am I doing? Where do I go? How do I go? And and then I played this game and it was like, oh my God, it's like somebody had just opened up my mind and it was like, this is horrendous. But this then game's I was, about me. But then there was no, yeah, it felt like the game was about me. and Which is interesting considering it's a fundamentally a game where about the it's value, about someone the value else. of producing art for not only that but the value of producing art for art's sake and saying you know leave me alone and don't yeah but it's it's more the fact that it's like you can't go back it's like you, you can't go back like you once you've opened that door you can't go back and yeah. that idea of you know you, when you begin creating things you do it for yourself and then as soon as they're out there in the world and they're that is often a good thing because then you're successful but then that initial seed that you had that that you can never get it back because it's just you've changed and the world has changed the way and it's that almost like that kind of a uh, spectator bias like even just by being observed your work has changed somehow but anyway it's fascinating that that stuff just hit me like a fucking ton of bricks well, <laughs> and yeah my brother I was talking to my brother the other week and he was like oh yeah but like 
he was like, oh yeah, but it's still not clear whether or not it's actually the same person or whether it's actually a real person. And I'm like, it is. And it's this, <laughs> it's this weird thing of being like, unless you kind of, unless you maybe have had experience with creating stuff, in which case the entire game is so clearly an allegory for different uh, relationships between creations and creativity and, and creations over time. What I love is that people are going to be listening to this thinking that we're spoiling it, but we're just so not because no. that game is so... It's like it's almost like looking at a painting or something. It's there's just, so much detail to it and there's so many clever allegories and so many clever things that are woven throughout it that it's not in... Some of it you didn't, I didn't realise for weeks later. I went, oh my God, that's that. That's so clever. When While we've been talking i've come up with the full quinn's crying hit list uh <laughs> if people want to just cry the, the, the whole weekend they're going to make sure by the beginning of undertale they play the end of brothers because that's might be the most i've cried oh no i've forgotten them while we've been talking oh, you still no. need to finish undertale so we can do a special podcast about that yeah because it'll blow your mind man i so absolutely good. do god oh 80 days uh during the north pole yeah no, in fact no intense. wait I cried during the North Pole and I cried during the second trip to France. And like, See, I cry at bad films on planes and... The planes are... T- and I didn't... I, I, I cried at the beginning of Batman Begins on a plane. Like, and like, yeah, like the beginner's guy didn't make me upset. It just made me feel despondent because I was like, oh my God, this is my life. And then I was like, give me answers. And then the answer is just like, no, everything's bad. And it'll always be bad probably. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is not what I needed right now. The thing is, um, you are 30, you're not 50. No, I know, I know. But it's it was weird how it just seemed to be like kind of... Uh, melancholically pondering these things in a very clever way, but ultimately just leaving you with quite a miserable outlook. But you know what? Like, it's, it's, I'm so glad that it's on, that's honest. You know, I'm oh, so yeah. glad that Davey was honest. Oh, yeah. It's an incredible, it's an incredible piece of work. It really is. Mm. Um, I just, I just found it really negative. But that's not bad because sometimes that's, that's fine. But the thing that made me cry the most, and again, I might have just been in a really dark place at the time, was Lost Odyssey. The little stories in that game. Oh, I cried during... L- I had to, honestly... Tell you what, talk about a game that people cannot go back and play because A, it was close to unplayable at the time, and B, now, like, original Xbox JRPG? No. No, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we must have talked about this on the Dark Souls before, of, like, just it having um, small short stories that were written and then that were animated and set to music, uh, as your character remembered yeah. memories. And, uh, well, to be fair, the first one of those is the wor- is the most tear-jerking, awful one. I mean, I, I mean... It's like the beginning of Up, in the middle of a JRPG where you're fighting slimes and squids. It got to a point where, like, in the first six hours of playing that game, I was bawling my eyes out three times. Were you uh, playing properly. it in the office? No, I was playing it at home. Uh, I, was, I, was, I think I was unemployed at this time, which may have contributed. But, uh, <laughs> He's uh, like me. He doesn't have anywhere to go. I, I've been unemployed for some time and was not in a great, great place. Uh, but yeah, like I just remember, I remember crying so much that I had to go and get a towel to keep next to me. <laughs> Because I was genuinely crying so much that it was just making my clothes wet. There's uh, the thing. Is... The thing with the uh, brothers is that um, I played it with Lee, and um, there was there's a point where the big reveal at the end that makes me cry the most. And again, this isn't a spoiler. I'll be super vague. It's something that you only realise if you are the person playing the game and not the person you are sat with mm-hmm. so um i like lee's watching the screen and then nothing happens and immediately i just begin crying and then she's like well, what what is it honey and then i'm like i i have to explain yeah why i'm crying but i'm doing the thing where because i'm crying so the, it's the <laughs> controls 
It was so bad. But yeah, like the fucking awful thing about Brothers is there's no way to talk about it. Like it's not like Undertale where you play it and then it's yeah. instantly amazing. Yeah. Brothers looks like a naff third person thing with a gimmick and then, You know, it's 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 been creeping up my list for so long. It's it's installed on my computer. It, it's going to be less it. it's going to start looking worse and worse, man. Oh, I'm sure. But I mean, what games look like increasingly doesn't really matter. Like it's one of those things where when you first boot it up, you go, huh, what is this Ugg town?" And then you you forget really quickly what games look like. Oh yeah, exactly. It's like just, the 60 FPS thing of like, uh, the frame rate of this is how I don't notice it anymore. Yeah, you just you just zone out of it really quickly. Like in the same way that like every time I start playing a new From Software game, I go, oh my god, this is fucking unplayable. <laughs> and then like within a few hours, I'm like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Like yeah. as soon as you go and play something else again, like you know, if you jump from like Overwatch to Dark Souls Three, you're gonna be like. Who made this game? Is it made out of biscuits and jam? <laughs> but if you're just in it for a long haul and you just that's all you're playing at the moment, you just get used to it. It just, you know, whatever. I'm replaying Dark Souls 2 now, which is... Why did you do that? No, I've, I've heard it's actually quite fun. Because I get it? to the DLC and then the DLC is really good. I've heard, yeah, have you played the, the... What's it called? The, the Scholar of the, of the First Sin. Yeah, apparently yeah. that's like a lot better. So it's, it's well, like, the, the tweaks are small, but I got to the first DLC and the, the DLC areas in Dark Souls 2 are like as good as any Souls game. I've heard that, yeah. I've heard that. I yeah. should go and check it out at some point, but hey. That's pretty tedious. It's pretty tedious. What a review. So uh, let's do... Da, 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 da. Should we do one more and then wrap this cat up yeah, in some muslin? Let's do that. Okay. This is a, a sort of a side question. Um, bum, 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 bum. That's the new UK national anthem. It is. Uh, I wish it was. I wish we could just admit that we're evil. Anyway. Charlie asks, how do you deal with procrastination? Does being your own boss and working on your own projects without specific deadlines affect your work ethic? Uh, I was actually... Is this an interesting question? I don't know. I was a terrible freelancer. I was awful. I missed deadlines. Lots of proud freelancers I know do the whole, oh, I never missed a deadline while sipping beer. Uh, it wasn't me. I missed deadlines all the time. But being crowdfunded, ever since then, I've worked harder than I ever have. Turns out when, you know, your your boss is 4,000 people giving you $3 a month, that would be amazing if that was mm-hmm. true. <laughs> That's not even... No, it's not even... No, it's not. but, you know, if <laughs> that would be amazing. And, uh, you know, that just lends itself to people showing so much trust in you being you yeah. that all you have to do is you is be you and... Yeah, it's like having like the biggest passive aggressive boss over your shoulder ever. They never have to say anything. They just they're just looming. Also, constantly. Matt and my boss is someone who doesn't even exist because Matt and I always assume that you guys who support us, the fun rates uh, behind Cool Ghosts, like whenever we can't do a video in a given week, we assume you guys are going, "Oh my god, these awful lazy work yeah. shy." But it's not even true. No, so it never Matt, does. No, Matt and I actually work for a, a sort of imaginary evil boss. <laughs> Who is made up of all of you, Voltron style. Um, yeah. And that boss is really scary. Yeah, I found it's like the opposite is true. Like, if anything, like, I find my biggest problem is that I don't stop working um, because I'm always feeling like, and actually it's only been in the past, like, year that I've actually got myself to actually chill the hell out a bit and go, hey, Matt, you don't have to work, like, all of the time. You can chill out a bit because actually, like, it's better that way because I found myself just having days where I'm like, oh, I can't do it. I can't focus. And so I just sit in front of a computer for 14 hours going, ah, when actually it's like, hey, maybe you take the morning off and go for a run. You and know, then you come back and you just do better work. The big difference between like a website magazine and what we do is um, in a weird way, um, our, the people who support us are more long-sighted than people who run actual businesses. Yeah. yeah. Because the people who run a magazine, it's like, this issue has to be amazing. And then the next issue has to be amazing. Especially when we were working for them when the print industry was dying. Yeah. And websites are like, you know, worrying about ad revenue for this quarter. Yep. Um, whereas if we tell you guys, hey, we're burned out, do you want Matt and me to make funny videos for another couple of years? If so, can we take a month off? You guys will go, yeah. 
and burnout's a real thing that Matt and I have both had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's so, always a risk. So you guys uh, are actually more interested in our long-term health than just about anyone else on the planet because you want us to keep doing this for years to come. That's true. And actually, it's funny how like there, initially there were some teething problems with the fact that lots of the people uh, uh, who were like fans of my stuff had come from other YouTube channels and uh, existed within the YouTube kind of ecosystem. And they were really kind of like didn't like the fact that when my work became a bit more erratic but now people get it and actually it's like a different sort of thing of it's one of those weird things where it requires a degree of trust if there's not a video on a thursday it just means that the next video we will be better for it because we could easily get something out every thursday like clockwork but mm-hmm. you'd occasionally have weeks where you just think that was a bit crap wasn't it like, yeah and we know that, that you don't want that so <laughs> yeah procrastination is not an issue for either of us i think it's the reverse it's if anything actually we need to have weeks where, especially running Shut Up and Sit Down and Cool Ghosts, and obviously I do regular features as well, and Quinn's has got other projects as well. We, we try and keep like freelance stuff to a minimum now just because we're lucky enough to be supported on these uh, these websites to do cool stuff for you guys. But you kind of have to have weeks where you go, hey, like I'm burning out this week. I need to like step off the gas a bit because mm. uh, I always think that I don't work very hard, but... Um, then you have moments where you go, oh, no, actually, I do. I'm working was, almost constantly. My housemates say that. They like One of my housemates will come in and look at me and be like, Quince, you're always working. And I'll go, no, I'm not. I'm not. And then I'll look, <laughs> I will look at my monitor and I will be like doing it. It's like, ah, oh, this is an email. Yeah, this is not work. even work. This yeah. isn't work. Yeah, like I'm podcasting like every week, twice. No, it's not work. Yeah, so um, no, we do. I think, I think, but it's amazing, actually. It's like people say freelancers have this thing of feeling like you can never turn down work if you're freelance because you're worried that they, they won't come back. It's like crowdfunding is exactly the same but it never ends uh because like with freelancing you might just get so much freelance that you think oh god i've made loads of money in the past few months i can just take a few weeks off Mm. whereas in this because you're always trying to keep an invisible boss happy um you just don't stop there was a nuts thing in shut up and sit down's early crowdfunding history where uh where i was like okay we got some money we're gonna put out like four posts a week and then i did that for a month and then i looked back and went yeah people are really happy with this four posts a week thing Oh no, now I need to do this forever because I've just set a standard yeah. that it's like that you can't roll back from doing more content if you're crowdfunding. No. You have to like ease off the gas, otherwise people go mad. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I think it's one of those things that we are actually um especially now because it's actually such a new thing with YouTube creators and, and YouTube creators putting out so much content. You look at like your favorite um like one of my favorite people growing up, Charlie Brooker, like and he would write a weekly thing for the Guardian little magazine thing you got yeah and it'd be, it'd be a weekly column maybe like 600 words maybe 800 and then he do like tv shows like a few tv shows every year and then they do some other stuff in between but it's like this idea of like people who are creative and people who are funny or people who are intelligent doing things multiple times every week all the time is a really new invention and you know what people don't function like that it's hard work it's so, yeah, i've been uh, supporting kitty horror show who made um, anatomy on patreon um, and a weird thing there is that I want her to make another anatomy. I want to see what the next big thing she makes is because she's so good at that stuff. But she has a thing for patients where she um, uh, gives out a, a free small game every month mm-hmm. that she works quite hard on. And so, like, that's at $5 a month you get access to that. So I'm supporting her at, like, $4.90. Because I don't want that. I just want her to do less work and then do work that's super important that she's yeah, proud absolutely. of. Absolutely. And I think it's really difficult to have that relationship. But I think that actually when you talk to people and have that kind of conversation with people, they, they get that. And it's nice. Like I've had lots of people in the past being like, you know what? When you started doing this stuff, you were like, hey, look, I'm not necessarily always going to do what you want. And but 
you might not know that a thing I'm going to make that you might not even think you want will be what you want in the future. Lots of people have been skeptical of that, but now more and more people come around to it and being like, you know what, we're not going to ask you to keep doing the same things. We're just going to let you do what you do and know that my next favorite thing is going to be something that I've got no idea what it will be. And if you explain it to me, I'd be like, I don't want that. So anyway, yeah, the the the, the long and story short is that uh, procrastination is not a problem because you're all massive and invisible and evil and standing over our shoulder. But at the same time, oh shit, you we know still what? have a really good relationship and you trust us. So that's they what are cool ghosts. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Massive, evil, invisible. End of season one cliffhanger. Uh, but yeah, also thank you for listening to Dark Souls, it's which not, is a podcast the that we've been doing weekly one. now, almost weekly every week for, for bloody ages. Uh, which is again um, something which I'm very proud of, and I'm very proud of you guys listening to us. I don't know why; it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, uh, I am weirdly somehow. If somehow you end up listening to Dark Souls without going to CoolGhosts.net, is that there must be at least one person out there? Hey, one person who's never been to CoolGhosts.net, check it out. There's some really good videos on it. Hot Ooh. damn, there are. We're really proud. Yeah, we are. We are. And uh, yeah, thank you. And we'll see you next week for more Daft Souls and less Europe. Yeah, less Europe. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.